Good morning. It's good to see all of your faces. Um, it's honestly, nice to wake up and see Narnia outside. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you need to read the Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, to wake up and to see, I, I, didn't, I don't mind seeing snow. I don't hate snow. I only hate it on January 2nd. Uh, this, I'm like, there's no more purpose for you. Go away. Um, fine for the holidays, but, and, and honestly, when it snows on Saturday evening, just know that your pastor's hairline is crawling back whenever it snows Saturday nights. Um, but excited about the, the morning, um, watching Moses. Uh, Moses is our cat. If we talk about Moses, we're not talking about the biblical character. We're talking about the one that's leading us back into bondage. Um, that's our cat. So, yeah, he's uh, seeing snow for the first time, and so we're like, we, we are those parents. We're like Instagramming our cat looking at snow for the first time. Pray for your pastor and his wife. We are in a weird spot right now with this cat. Goodness gracious. Now, don't get me wrong. I like him 70% of the time. It's the other 30% that the demons come out. And don't, don't tell me cats don't have demons. Have you seen cats? Mine has them 30% of the time. So, usually right before bed. So if you have your Bibles, go to Colossians. We are going through the book of Colossians. And hopefully you've got your scripture journals. Uh, I literally forgot my scripture journal at home, so I'm going to use uh, my normal preaching Bible today. Um, if you've never used one before, I would highly recommend scripture journals for your own devotional time. I think it's a great way to have space to not just uh, circle, underline, highlight uh, words, phrases, sentences, but to have a whole space to write poetry, prayers, uh, thoughts, uh, musings, um, things that God's challenging you with. I tend to write Greek and Hebrew stuff on, on the right side, and I uh, use different color highlighters for different things. So get creative with it. But the biggest thing is get yourself into the scriptures. Be a man and woman of the scriptures. And so today, somebody said amen. That's awesome. Today we're going to dive into Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 through 23. And this is what Paul writes to the church in Colossae. He says, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present to you holy, present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Lord Jesus, anoint our hearts, anoint this mouth, uh, let what is said today go and be like seed upon good soil that we would see much fruit born from this day. Lord, I just ask that you would just transform us, help not a single soul to leave this place the same way they walked in. Make us more like you, Lord. I thank you for a one-game winning streak for the Lions. Let it continue today in Jesus' name. Amen. Only a Detroit fan will count one win as a streak. That's who we are. Paul, last week, we got into uh, just an amazing portion of Scripture. So last week we talked about Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. So those six verses we let you know was most likely the first hymn ever written about Jesus. We sang a hymn this morning, um, and Michelle absolutely rocked it this morning. Goodness gracious. Um, and so that's the first hymn. 
verses 15 through 20, and the hymn has two stanzas. And the first stanza, remember what we said last week. The first stanza was about Jesus is Lord over creation. The second stanza, he is the Lord of new creation, that he established through his death and resurrection a brand new creation. And so this next set of verses is almost this response to anybody in the Colossian church that would have said, so what, all that's great, what are the implications on my life? What does that do for me personally? How does that affect me personally? And I am glad you've asked me that question because that's exactly what you're asking me today. What does it have to do with us? And so this morning, I'm just going to give you three instructions, three simple instructions, such a simple outline for you today. So if you are a note taker, I want to give you the reason why Paul gave us the previous scriptures and what that has to do with you today. So if you're a note taker, get your scripture journal, write down, number one, Paul wants you to, do, to remember your reality before Christ. Remember your reality before Christ. Some of us need to remember what we were like before we met Jesus. Some of us, I believe, have just lost the wonder. And if you are in a place where church has become monotonous and the scriptures become monotonous, listen, it's not about getting a new voice and getting a brand new Bible. Sometimes we just need to recapture the wonder of what God has done in our lives. Just recapturing the wonder all over again. That's one of my favorite things about Christmas is just recapturing the wonder. So Paul is trying to get them to look back and to remember where they came from. It says in verse 21, it says, And you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Um, let me give you the NIV. The New, the New International Version says, You were once alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. I like, I like the NIV in this section. I, I like it a lot. I grew up on the NIV. Uh, it was my salvation from the KJV, and if you are not raised in church, you have no idea the type of things that I've just said. But I love that word, alienated. This is where you were at, and you couldn't figure it out. Have you ever had something happen to you that you just couldn't figure out what to do with it? It was 12 years ago. Um, I mean, the, the long story short, I went on a bike ride one day, and I rode by a subdivision that is called Rudgate. And... My trailer park I grew up in was called Rudgate. And I'm like, this is like a sign from the Lord. I don't look into things all the time, but I'm like, this is amazing. Rode down there, found a lot. They were building. It's in the middle of the economic crisis that we were going through back in 09. And I'm like, you know what? This is actually affordable for us to actually build and get our roots planted in Kalamazoo. And so we built a home. And I want to say it was within a week. I was just telling someone this story. It was within a week of being in that home. I'm in my office, and I'm studying, and I get a phone call from my mortgage lender that says, hey, is this Dave Berenger? Yes. Um, we've got a problem with your mortgage. I'm like, how, do, how did I screw this up? I've been in here a few days. And they said, well, we didn't, the mortgage is actually too low. It's not going to take care of all the taxes. It's, it's, it's not going to cover everything we have to actually increase your mortgage. I'm like, well, how much are we talking? They said, well, over $1,000. I'm like, you're going to more than double my mortgage payment, not even a week into owning my home. 
and my lips go numb. When I start stressing, my lips go numb, my head starts buzzing. It's, it's like a wasp nest that they can't get out and I'm just, I can't think straight. And so I'm literally pacing back and forth and she's walking me through numbers and I am stressing. Uh, that's where all this gray hair came from was that one day. It was just a rough, rough day. And so I hang, hang up the phone and I am torn between going to be homeless and more importantly, I have to call my wife and explain this. And so I, I, I literally pace back and forth, back and forth in my office. I am back and forth. I am praying in tongues. I am praying in English. I am reading scriptures. I'm like, Lord, I need you to make a way there is, where there seems to be no way. I'm quoting every scripture I can think of. And I'm like, Lord, I'm just trusting in you. Because I am in this place where I'm, I'm like, I can't figure out how to do this. We are going to have to move into one of the classrooms in the back of the church and share space with the kids on Sunday morning. That is what is in my mind. And if you ask my wife, that was actually a solution I offered. And she's like, we are not having Sunday school in a place where we live. So I'm just stressing. And after 40 minutes, the phone rings, and it's my mortgage lender. And, and, and she said, I have a clarifying question for you. I ask me whatever you want because you've, you've made me homeless. I literally told her that. You've made me homeless. And she goes, how many properties do you own? I'm like, I own one. She goes, you only have one lot, not five? I'm like, no, I'm on lot 13. She goes, well, let me run some numbers. She runs the numbers. She goes, well, we made a slight mistake. We're actually going to take your mortgage down by 20 bucks. I'm like, there is a God. There is a Savior. Oh, my. So I just start pacing back and forth, and I'm like praising the Lord in English. And in time, I, mean, I'm just, I am just like so thrilled. I'm like, then I call, I call up my wife. Guess what God did? And so I'm telling her about it, and she's like getting stressed at the beginning of the story because I'm dramatic that way. Um, but have you ever got to the place where something happens and you just can't figure out what to do? And you are in this mode of angst to the point where it is affecting everything. You can't think straight. You can't act straight. You can't talk straight. You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know how you're going to change. And then you get to that relief moment where, I know what's wrong now. I know how to fix things. I think that every single one of us understand that there is fundamentally something wrong with humanity. Thank you, Emily. I think if we all admitted there's something fundamentally wrong with humanity, and it seems like in our culture that there are no mechanisms or explanatory power to accurately diagnose this condition of angst that human beings live with and they have. It seems like everything we watch on TV, it's, it's people in angst. It's TV shows, it's movies, it's social media. There's so much angst and there's so much brokenness and it seems that nobody has the power to say, let me put my finger on it. It's got to be this. And what we end up doing is we end up blame, we blame, we blame, we blame and we never deal with that inner issue in our own hearts, that angst. And so Paul is writing in this passage to this condition that every human being and I love what he says in verse 21, you were alienated from God. That word alienated in the Greek means to alienate, to estrange, to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. You were shut out. You were apart. You were estranged. And we know this well because the book of Romans tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is this thing of sin that we were, that we were born into in this broken world that every single one of us has this condition. And Paul says, listen, prior to Christ, this was your state of being. 
You were estranged. You were an angst. You were alienated. And if you really read, I started just reading a lot on alienation, uh, which, not the 80s movie, which was okay, by the way. Uh, but this idea of feeling alienated and this idea of angst, I just began to read blogs and articles. I honestly was listening to songs from different art, uh, that were different artists and listening at, into lyrics, and I'm realizing this world is full of angst. And for years, we're talking centuries, theologians, philosophers, Psychologists have wrestled with this issue of angst. Why do people feel the angst of separation? Uh, the Stanford Dictionary of Psychology uh, says this. The concept of alienation identifies the distinct kind of psychological or social ill, namely, one involving a problematic separation between self and other that belong together. Look at that. The problematic separation between self and other that belong together. Why, why does somebody feel alienation? Because somebody they're supposed to be with is not with them, and they have that separation moment. They feel alienated, and that alienation causes angst. Why is this so accurate? Because we were designed to be, number one, made, we are made in the image of God, and we were designed to be in relationship with God. And when sin came in and caused that separation and, and caused that, that pulling away, all of a sudden, we went into this place where we feel alienation. Why do people act the way they do in this world? I think it's because of a sense of alienation. Because we were meant to be in relationship with Jesus. We were meant to be in relationship with God. And when we're not walking in that, we start acting and living out of this alienation because we are separated between us and the other that belong together. This is the state of the world, I believe, that we're in. It was an article of, uh, from 1959. Melvin Seaman uh, wrote, wrote an article called The Meaning of Alienation, and he said there are five distinctives of what alienation is. He says this, there are five things. We are powerless within ourselves. The word is powerless. No matter how much knowledge, no, how, no matter how much money, no matter how much agency we have in our culture, we cannot change the angst within ourselves and change how we feel. When we're alienated, there's a sense of meaninglessness. Despite all of our accomplishments as human beings, we've, we have gotten to the place where we've lost the capacity to thrill the heart any longer. We can have the best relationships, the best outcomes, the best experiences, the best opportunities, and it actually doesn't solve the feeling of alienation. Normlessness, the ability to establish a coherent set of moral and ethical behaviors for ourselves and to give us a guiding ethical standard in life. There's no guiding principles. Isolation, a profound sense of being separated from everybody. Self-estrangement, we literally don't know uh, who we've become anymore to anybody. This is what I see everywhere. This is what I see in everyone is there are people that find themselves, they, they, they feel powerless, so they, they're scrapping and trying to get things to, feel them, to make, make themselves feel powerful. They, they're sensing meaninglessness, and so they're trying to find things to give them meaning. They're sensing, like, I've got no, no, no more normality, so I've got to make my own normal and create my normal. I feel isolated from people, and so I'm going to try to create community the way that I feel I might need it. I'm feeling estranged. And the reality is, is we're trying to fill the alienation desire, to try to fill the angst with something that we can do in and of ourselves and you are never designed to, to have that filled by a human being or a thing. That angst within your heart, that emptiness in your life was only meant to be filled by the Lord. You're alienated. You have angst. And so we have culture running around experiencing this profound sense of alienation. And so we, 
we throw the blame. It's this person. It's this, mo it's this moment. It's this thing. And when I look around and I see the chaos of our culture, I look and I wonder if we are just experiencing, if our culture, our country, our world is experiencing a profound sense of alienation. Alienation shows up everywhere. I begin to look at the arts, and there's a, an artist by the name of, of Jackson Pollock. Jackson Pollock, uh, his numbers of pieces that he has painted, one of them is called Number Five. And we're going to put that picture up here. Um, this is his attempt to try to get, put a coherent image together to articulate the feeling of alienation. And when he was trying to depict it, he couldn't put together any specific shape or form. This really was the depiction of the angst that he was feeling in his heart. We see this in arts. We see this in books. Like one of the most uh, famous books of all time is a book called Catcher in the Rye. It's been a bestseller for, for years. And when you read Catcher in the Rye, what's Catcher in the Rye about? And why do people keep buying it? Why do people keep reading it? Because it's a story of a young man in a very pivotal time in his life that's going through angst in his own heart. There's a novelist by the name of David Foster Wallace who said in an interview while talking about one of his books, he talks about his own angst. And he says, it is a stomach-level sadness that exists below the success of everything that I'm experiencing. A stomach level sadness beneath it all. I've said this for years, if you wanna know what a generation is like, listen to their music. Mom and dad, listen to your kids' music and do more than listen to the beat and the music. Read the lyrics of the stuff that your kids are listening to. You want to know what generations are going through? Look back at their music. You want to know what the 60s were like? Go listen to the music. Look at the 70s. Look at the 80s. And we can begin to see different things that took place. When the love movement, the free love movement went, the, the music reflected what the world was screaming out for. In the 70s, all of a sudden when rock began to change and all of a sudden that thing called disco appeared, you're like, man, this generation is really in angst just listening to disco alone. But then we get to the 80s when the hair bands began, began to come out and the best music came out. God bless the 80s. Best fashion, best hair. But the quintessential song of the 80s was by Twisted Sister called what? We're not going to take it. Get to the 90s. And we get to grunge, and we get to a, a group called Nirvana. And I remember I was at a DC Talk concert, and I remember Toby Mac at one point stopped. He said, listen, I, I need to give some news that Kurt Cobain, the lead singer of Nirvana, has taken his life. And we went to prayer there at the Palace of Auburn Hills over that family and over the whole situation and over the issue of hopelessness. But Nirvana grunge music, defined the 90s and defined a generation and we could just keep moving out and even if we pushed ourselves all the way here, we look at the music we're listening to and you can hear the angst. If you want, you want a very angsty person here, let me give you somebody that could shock you a little bit, Taylor Swift. I've decided that don't ever date Taylor Swift unless you want a song written about you after the breakup. Honestly, I think songwriters... They are some, um, some of the most articulate theologians out there. I'm not saying they're accurate theologians, but they put to words to articulate what's going on in their soul. And one of her songs called Exile, she talks about finding herself alienated from a place that she wants to call home. 
Billie Eilish, I think that she's poster child for angst. To listen to her stuff, I was having a conversation with someone this past week, and, and like, well, listen to her music. It's not that angsty. I'm like, have you listened to the lyrics? Like, well, fair enough. <laughs> Look at the lyrics. One of the most popular uh, groups right now for, for this generation is the 1975, and I'm going to clean up the lyrics here, but these lyrics say, oh, forget your feelings. Truth is only hearsay. We're left here to decay. Modernity has failed us. Look at the arts. Look at literature. Look at what people are, are, are putting on the silver screen. There is an angst of the heart that people don't know what to deal with. And why is it, why is it that most of the, the movies that we're seeing in the theater are of superheroes? You don't want to know why? Because there is an angst that, that's deep down in the human soul that says, I am alienated. I need somebody to come and save me. Somebody save me. Somebody help us now. I mean, alienation. Think of what COVID did in 2020, the quarantine. Suicide rates skyrocketed, especially in the age of teenage girls. It went up 50% during COVID. Why? Because it was the sense of social alienation from other people. Alienation. Why do we do it? In fact, one of the most common things I hear from people today, I see people walk away from their family, walk away from their parents, walk away from their spouse, walk away from jobs, walk away from church. I see people walking away, and this is the word that they'll say, I have to go find myself. And so I have to abandon all of this to find me. What is driving people to do that? I'm, a, I'm alienated. I feel angst. I feel empty. I feel separated. And I see this on issues over and over and over. When I talk with in, individuals about race issues, what are some of the things that come up? It's this idea. I, I, there's a sense of belonging. I want to know I can belong in this world and not be hunted down, not be looked at, not be discriminated. When I talk with people about sex issues, gender issues, it is this angst. I want a sense of belonging. There is a part of us that is inside of our spirits that wants to belong. Ever since we turned away in the Garden of Eden and went our own way, we've wanted to find a place to belong. And so alienation is manifested anywhere. And so this is my, always my challenge, is if you are in a place where you are disconnecting from God, stop trying to disconnect from God to find your place. The only way to find your place is to return back to God. That's the only way to find yourself. Man, Jesus says if, if you want to find yourself, you got to lose yourself. Now what's... What Jesus is really saying, you got to lose the false sense of what you think you are and find who you truly are in Jesus, in God himself. And what Paul is saying, it is Christ that is connecting you in your alienation. And what I love is that even though we were alienated in our sin, that Christ came down to us, that Christ came in the midst of our moment, that Christ did not call us to him. He came to us and made a way for us to come out of that alienation. And not just desires to come and to connect with us, but he desires to step into relationship with us. And my concern is if we're not careful that we will create a church culture in our hearts that welcomes a connection with God, but not a relationship with God. Some of you who know me well um, know there's certain foods, certain things I don't like. Why? Because I talk about them up here. But imagine this. You invite Pastor Dave over for dinner. 
And Pastor Dave, why am I talking to the third person? <laughs> I love coming over to all y'all's house for dinner and eating your food. It's, it's awesome. Love it. Imagine if you invited me over and you're like, I've got a special meal for you, Pastor Dave. But before we eat, I want, I want to play some country music. And so you put on, I don't even know any artist, Blake Shelby, Shelton, whatever it's called, he's called. <laughs> play that in the background, so automatically I've got some angst. And then you, you bring up a plate of raw tomatoes and you start slicing them for me. And you lay them all on my plate and you're like, there you go. And now I've got to look at this plate for which I don't even know what I'm going to do. Because nobody should ever eat raw tomatoes. That is from the, the, the pit of Hades. Goodness gracious. And then for dessert, you're like, I've got a special treat. I saw your Facebook post. I know you're going to love this. I'm going to give you a Mounds bar. And not just that, I'm going to give you Almond Joy. Not only that, anything coconut, I'm going to put that in. That's your dessert. And I'll be honest. I was invited to the place. I was asked to be there. But not once did I feel welcome to be there. I think that many people in the church, they like Jesus as Savior, but they don't want Jesus as Lord. And we want connected to Jesus, but we don't want relationship with Jesus. And so Jesus, he, we ask him to come to my heart and save me. And he comes in and we, we experience that salvation moment. And then we say, we've got it from here, Jesus. Thank you very much. In other words, Jesus looks at us and says, I was asked to be here, but I wasn't welcomed here. Paul is like, you were alienated. And what we need is more than just a connection to Jesus. We need fellowship. We need, we need to walk into relationship with Jesus. And we need his presence. And I've had people say, well, Pastor Dave, I've got to go find me. And it's okay. Don't worry. I know God still loves me. Listen, God will always love you. But just because he loves you doesn't mean he approves of what you're going to do. And we can't mistake the presence of God for the permission of God and whatever we're doing in our life. God will always be around us, but when we are living in our sin, we are pushing away the fellowship of God. So Paul says, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. Some of us need to remember, some of you need to remember that you were alienated. You were far from God. Do you remember the day you gave your heart to Jesus? Do you remember that day? I remember raising my hand in third grade and I prayed and I just started crying. You're like, oh, typical Dave. I just started crying and I, and because we had a, a missionary from Switzerland spoke to our class and it transformed my life. And I remember that day. I remember in 10th grade when I just got sick of playing church because I had wandered so far away from God and I was in youth group and God and I were going to have it out that day, so I came up to the front after service, and I sat there until, until 11 o'clock at night, just me and God. We're, we're just, we're going to do this. Because I was just done playing the games. I was done feeling alienated. I wanted to be in relationship. And so Paul says, listen, stop playing the game. Stop just being connected. Step into relationship. And that leads me toward number two. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in your salvation. Verse 22 says, it says, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The NIV says it this way. 
But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish, free from accusation. Let's keep that up there just for a second here. Because I want you to catch something that I think is so important. Paul is helping them to understand that they have been reconciled. That you were alienated. That you were separated. But you are now reconciled in Jesus Christ. There is a shift in your state of being. When you give your heart to Jesus, that you go from being absent from God working in. All of a sudden, God is now working through your life. God is doing something. And he is reconciling yourself. What does reconciling mean? Something was off. Something was shifted. And has been made right. We are made right when the presence of God comes in our lives. If we're willing to be vulnerable with who God is and who we really are. Because some of us have just got to admit we are, being, we are alienated. It's not that God is alienating you. Some of us think it's God's fault. He's alienating me. It's not, he's not alienating um, us. We've alienated ourselves away from him. And so here, we've we just got to learn to get true and get real with ourselves. And I've learned that people, people love vulnerability nowadays, but we never actually truly see vulnerability. Let me just say, what you post on social media isn't vulnerability. That's what's called validation. You post what you want validated. We don't post to be vulnerable. But when we are being vulnerable, what we're trying to do is we're trying to be real with who we are. And the problem is, is most people don't want to be vulnerable because if I'm vulnerable and you see the true me, then you know what? You won't like and you won't love the true me. And some of us treat God the same way, that I can't be vulnerable with God because if God truly knew me, which I find funny to even say out loud, but I've had people say this, if God truly knew me, if he knew what was going on, he knows what's going on. And some of us have put God off because if God knew the true me, then he wouldn't want me. But I'm here to give you the news that he knows the true you, that you can be vulnerable with God, that you can give him your life because he loves the true person that you are are all the junk, all the brokenness, all the things that are off. And he knows what's there and he's there to not push you away and alienate you for what you have done. He's there to reconcile you unto himself. It is the sin that is in our life that brings the guilt and the shame. Let me give you definitions. Guilt says you've done something wrong. Shame says there's something wrong with you. And what we've got in this scripture is the good news of the gospel. Paul says it this way. He is now reconciled in his body of flesh and his death in order to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach. When you get real with God, when you invite God in, this is the gift, is that he will present you holy without blemish, free from accusation. Well, pastor, you don't even know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. This is the beauty. When you come to Jesus, it's washed away. It's made brand new. That reconciliation takes place, and now in God's sight, instead of standing as a sinner, you stand holy. Instead of standing in a place where you were covered in the blemish of your sin, you're standing without blemish. Instead of standing in guilt and shame lingering over your life, you are now free from accusation. This is the good news of the gospel. The good news that Jesus sees us for who we are, and he still chooses to transform us. He still chooses. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in the flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, 
Through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Now I'm going to stop right there because the flesh and blood actually connects with Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, because it talks about flesh and blood. Why does Paul bring that up in Colossians, and why does the Hebrew writer bring it up? Because the Gnostics of that day, some of the heretics of that day, what they were teaching is, is everything made of matter, including the body, everything's just wrong and bad and, and evil, and therefore God will never touch it. And so Paul writes and says, listen, it is through Christ's physical body. Christ came to be with us, to be amongst us, to be one of us. And it came in the physical and, and reconciled us through his body. Chapter 4, verse uh, 14 through 16. Is that the right one? That is the right one. It says, since we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus... Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our humanity, our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then let us, uh, let us draw in confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Uh, that's the key I want you to see right there, that we can come boldly to the throne. If you're feeling alienated today, you're feeling a sense of angst in your spirit, you're feeling lost right now, you don't have to cower and hope that God will let you in, that you can go boldly into the presence of God. You can go boldly before him and you can go, you can go run into his arms and he is there not to just look at you and tell you to go away and clean yourself up, but to welcome you in and say, welcome home. Make you holy, spotless, guilt-free. This is the gospel. Thank you for that amen. See, when we mess up, we can still go and get mercy and grace for help. Do you understand the reorientation of the human heart that this brings? Instead of living profoundly insecure out of a sense of angst and alienation, hiding behind layers of emotional heart armor, wondering Am I going to get rejected or can I be, do I have to be fearful of a living God? But we realize that Christ, that God has accepted us in Jesus Christ. It reorients our hearts. It changes the way we approach life. It changes the way we approach God. It changes the way, the way we approach others because we no longer lean into people for acceptance and to help solve that alienated heart. We've now resolved it in Jesus. We have been reconciled and now we get to live free. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. I want to read this again. Since the children share flesh and blood, he himself partook of the same things, like us, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil. Therefore, he has to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become merciful and a faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation for the sins of people for he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are tempted. Long story short, when we're hurting, he understands. When we're broken, he understands. When we're alienated, you know what? I believe he understands. How do I know that? Because on the cross, what did he cry out? My God, my God, why have you, why have you forsaken? Was God there? He was. But that sense, that human sense was there. And the result of allowing ourselves to be reconciled with God is we get to be holy without blemish free from accusation. And lastly, I'm going to have the keyboardists come. Last, but certainly not least, I wrote down these words, contend for the faith. Paul wants you to contend for the faith. Remember where you came from. Celebrate, rejoice 
in your salvation, but contend for the faith. Now, I originally wrote this as continue in the faith because that's exactly what the scripture says. It says, verse number 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, for which I, Paul, have become a minister. I, the word continue would have been easy to put there, but it wouldn't adequately describe the original language and the intent of the passage because the intent is not just to simply continue. It is to contend, fight for it. Because there is a world of darkness that honestly wants to keep convincing you how alienated you are from God. They want to convince you to have angst. They want to convince you to have distrust in anything and in everything. And there's a lot of things in this world I don't trust at all. But more specifically, I've I've seen a lot of people deconstructing their faith and they've just stopped trusting. They stopped trusting in the church, but they, most importantly, they stopped trusting in God. And we have to do more than just continue believing. We have to contend for it. To keep pushing. Why? Because I wrote down two types of resistance. We have strong resistance and we have um, subtle resistance. And the, and the strong stuff is that which the culture gives us. It reminds me of, of Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 all the way through chapter 6. If you read the story of Daniel and his, his three Hebrew friends, they were taken from their homes, taken from their land, and they were put into Babylon. And there they had to learn the religions of Babylon. They had to learn, they had to be schooled in the way of Babylon, learn the new language of Babylon. They were supposed to abandon everything that they knew, specifically their God, and begin to just accommodate to that which their culture said that they had to do. And yet we've got this beautiful story of these four Hebrew boys that decided in the face of lion's dens, in the face of furnaces, that they would just stand their ground, fix their face on a flint, and saying, as for me, as for us, we're just going to keep focused on the Lord. And so we've got pressure that is coming. Pressure that comes at us in our schools. Pressure that comes at us in neighbors. Pressures that come at us from our televisions and from the things that we're listening to, the things that, we're, that we allow in our life. The pressures do come in. Contend for your faith. There's what I call subtle resistance. And the reason why I wrote it this way is subtle resistance happens when we lose the wonder of our reconciliation and we get complacent in our faith and we begin to kind of pull back from God. When we stop contemplating the beauty of Jesus, when was the last time? When was the last time you just sat back and you just contemplated the beauty of Jesus Christ? When was the last time you contemplated heaven? Contemplated hope one day. And we have hope for today but to be in hope personified one day when there's no more pain, no more sickness, no more brokenness. And some of us have just simply lost our wonder. Almost lost our spiritual edge. And that losing that wonder easily gets us into the place where we can miss out on truly what God is speaking to our lives. And so it's something I really want to speak into our congregation today, and it's this. I want you to close your ears to any voice that wants to alienate you from Christ and his church. Now, I want you to know, I put Big C Church because some of you have been hurt by the church. And if you have, you're in good company. I've been there and I understand. You've been hurt by a pastor. I've been there. I understand. I, I have stories upon stories upon stories. I get it. But there is a voice. There is a voice of darkness that wants to speak into you, that wants to 
that w- doesn't just want you to stay alienated in your sin, but wants, you to a- wants to get you to alienate yourself away from Christ and his church. Has the church made mistakes? Yes, they're full of humans. We all make mistakes. I will, I've got 13 years of making good choices and sometimes bad choices as a pastor. Good choices as a husband, bad choices as a husband. This is called being human. But I think so often that things can happen so much to us that the immediately response is I'm going to alienate myself away from my Savior and away from the body. And you've heard me say this since day one, 13 years ago, the enemy works in isolation. God works in community. And I believe that God wants to do some reconciling today. To hear this letter in this city of Colossia, this would have been so liberating. Why? Because in their minds, Rome is who assigns our value because we're underneath their leadership. But here, Paul says, you are alienated and your value is assigned not based upon the empire, the government, and what people say the value you hold is. You're valuable because the Savior came down, didn't leave you in alienation, but he reconciled you. He brought you to himself. He's made you holy, without blemish, guilt-free. The invitation to holiness is not an invitation to acting right. The invitation to holiness is the invitation to partake in reconciliation between you and your Savior. Bow your heads. I'm done yakking today.